Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. at the Somerville campus and 11 a.m. at the North Charleston and Remount campuses. Thank you. We hope you are blessed through listening. Turning your Bible to First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. How many came ready for the Word of God today? Trust you have your Bibles ready to follow along. There are outlines on the back of your bulletin. You can turn to those and follow along with us today. Uh, by those who are watching by way of a video, we welcome you today. So good to have you tuning in, either by way of television or video at one of our other campuses or right here in the late service today at 11 o'clock. Paul's been talking to the Thessalonians. We've been, we looked at his first letter. We looked at it in quite detail. The whole theme of 1 Thessalonians was get ready because the Lord could come back at any time. And he talks about the rapture of the church and he talks about his coming will be like a thief in the night and he tells us how to get ready and he closes with those short admonitions about pray always, rejoice always, give thanks always, uh, be ready because Christ could come back at any moment, any time. Now, he's going to write a second letter. It's not too long after the first letter. It is still written from the city of Corinth, and he writes this to the, the Thessalonians again. Only this is his epistle called Second Thessalonians, and and kind of the same theme is right there. He's going to talk about the return of the Lord. Now, next week, do not miss next Sunday. We're going to talk about the Antichrist and the man of sin and the man of lawlessness and some certain things that are happening all around us and even now in the day and age in which we live. You do not want to miss it next Sunday. Invite your friends to be here. But let us look together at chapter 1 as we start this second letter this morning. And you also are going to get the sense right away as you begin to look at this first chapter that now the persecution is increasing. Now the suffering's increasing. Now, now, now the adversity is, is increasing against that Thessalonian church. And he's really going to try to encourage them as he writes this second epistle, second letter. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and your love of every one of you abounds toward each other. So that, with, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and give you who are troubled rest with which when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now that as we open up your word, you'll open up our hearts today to receive what you have for us. And I pray, God, for those who may have come this morning, who themselves are going through adversity and suffering and heartache, God, I pray that you'll encourage their hearts this morning through your word. Your word is truth. And we ask this in your holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. How can you know that the Lord is really pleased with you? You ever thought about that? How do we know in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds that that God is pleased with me? How do we know that? If if you lived on the, the island of Vanuatu, I think is the way it's pronounced, they had a unique way of knowing whether they were accepted by God or not. What they would do is they would take them up on top of a tower or a a tall tree and had a platform up there, and they would tie these vines to their ankles. And when they got them to the top, they would confess their sins, uh, and then they would jump over uh, headfirst down. And if they survived that and lived, uh, it meant God was pleased with them. And if the vine stretched out too far and they cracked their head on the ground, then God must not be pleased with them. And that's what they believed on the island, that somehow this was showing whether God was really pleased with you or not. You see, people look for some kind of way to find out, is God really pleased with my life? Is he really pleased with me? The most popular indicator today is what I call the principle of retribution. And it goes something like this. That the Lord uh, uh, rewards those, those who accept, he rewards with prosperity. So if you are being blessed, if you're healthy, if you're prospering, if you're happy, if all good things are happening all around you, then that must be a sign somehow that you are accepted by God. And then on the other hand, if you are poor, if you're sick in body, if you are hurting, if you're going through very difficult times, if you are experiencing suffering, then somehow that must mean uh, God's not really pleased with me at all and God has not accepted me and I must be doing something wrong. The principle of retribution. It's, it, it, and it's, it's not just in religion that people experience this. It's in every culture because this is the way we're raised by our parents. Right? If you do good as kids, then you give them a lollipop, or you give them a reward, or you give them their allowance because they've done good. If they do bad, what happens? We discipline our children. We correct them. We train them. We discipline them. And so that principle of retribution starts very early in our minds, in our hearts, and, and it becomes a part of who we are. So this is somehow the way we deal with God. You find it in other religions as well. In ancient religion, the Babylonians had the principle of retribution. The, the Egyptians had the same principle. How many have heard the word karma? Instant karma is going to get you. Uh, you, you. You'd see that in Hinduism and Buddhism. And somehow, if you're good, then good things will happen to you. And if you're bad, then somehow bad things will happen to you. And that's all kind of based on the same principle, the principle of retribution. And there's a lot of Christians who unknowingly Hold to this principle. Watch some television evangelists. Not all of them, but there are some out there. And uh, they have kind of a a name it, claim it uh, philosophy of life or of faith. Or we might call it hyper faith. And so if you just speak it, if you name it, if you confess it long enough and hard enough and earnest enough, if you have enough faith, then you'll be rich. 
If you have enough faith, you'll always be healthy. You'll never get sick. If you have enough faith, you'll always be happy. And, and so it is. And if you don't have enough faith, or if somehow there might be sin in your life, then, you're, then that's why you're poor. Or that's why you're sick. Or that's why you're unhappy because you simply do not have enough faith. And this is what we call the principle of retribution. Now, let me back up for just a minute. No doubt, God does bless his children. And when God does bless us financially, those are blessings from God. When God gives us good health, we are to be thankful for that because that is God's great blessings upon us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And God does bless his children, make no mistake about it. And there are times when sickness can be a result of disobedience and sin. There are instances in the word of God of this. There are times when uh, loss of income because of our stupidity or our poor stewardship and we don't follow God's principles for living. And, And there are times those things happen, but the key is sometimes, not always. Sometimes, not always. You see, the book of Job, if you go back and study the book of Job, it really comes against that principle of retribution because there you have a righteous man. There was no more righteous man on the face of the earth, uh, but he suffered. He lost his family. He lost his health. uh, He lost everything uh, and he suffered. And yet he was a righteous and a good man. Listen to Matthew 5 and 45. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And yet many of us persist in looking at our circumstance and those things going on around us as either God's seal of approval or God's acceptance or this is the way I know God still loves me. Now, that's the background. Now, follow me on this thinking here. You have these Thessalonians who are going through persecution and they're suffering and they're going through trials and they're going through tests. And they've got to be wondering in the back of their mind, what's wrong with me? Doesn't God love me anymore? Doesn't he see what's going on in my life? Doesn't he understand my circumstances? Uh, and there had to have been uncertainty and doubt all around them. Uh, and, and, and in the back of their mind, maybe there's this whisper going on. God is not really pleased with you after all. God doesn't care about you. Uh, you've been abandoned by him. Uh, he doesn't see what's happening in your life. And, and the enemy is right there on their shoulders, whispering every step of the way. So Paul opens up this letter and he starts out, I thank God for you. I thank God because even in the midst of persecution, your faith is growing. Your love for each other is getting stronger. And he starts this grand letter, I thank God for you. Uh, and and, and he, because in the midst of all the suffering, uh, they're showing great faith. You see, a faith that won't endure suffering is no faith at all. If it can't endure can't make it if it can't survive it's absolutely no faith at all so so paul writes this letter to encourage the thessalonians in the midst of their suffering now for us today it it just begs the question why then does god allow suffering you ever ask yourself that i have man every time i i go through it i say why god why, why, why does God allow suffering? I, I want to give you three reasons, and I want you to jot these down. Number one, he's very clear in God's word. Listen to this. It prepares us for the kingdom. It prepares us 
for the kingdom. In verse 5, he uses a phrase, to, you are suffering to be counted worthy of the kingdom. To be counted worthy of the kingdom. Now, now what does that mean? Well, it does not mean that you've got to suffer in order to be saved. You know, the, the Bible's very clear. There's, admittance to the kingdom is not based on suffering or lack of suffering. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith alone. So it has nothing to do with your circumstances. You are saved simply by the grace of Almighty God. There comes a time in your life where you say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And and he saves us and he cleanses us. And we come into the kingdom of God by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does he mean? He he, he counts us worthy of the kingdom through suffering. Go Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse number 10. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on and endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire." Now, the kingdom of God implies building our life on the right kind of foundation. So he starts out, he says, there's no other foundation but the Lord Jesus Christ. We all agreed on that. Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. But what happens is God allows the fire of trials and the fire of persecution and the fire of suffering to come our way to burn those things in our life that have no eternal value. We get so wrapped up and what is around us, what we can see, taste, and touch, and feel with our, with our own eyes and our own hands. Uh, we get so caught up in those things uh, that there are those times in our life, God sends the fire, God sends the flame, uh, and if it's a bunch of junk, it'll all get burned up. He is trying to develop us and burn out those things in our lives that don't belong. And so those sufferings, those flames of fire, get us ready, get us meat for the kingdom of God. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. It says it very, very clearly there. 1 Peter 1 and verse number 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if indeed be, you have been grieved with various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. The same thought as 1 Corinthians. May be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You you see, there's something about the heart of man that is sinful, that, that, uh, that sinful nature, and if left alone and we go on our own way, what we tend to choose is the path of least resistance. So we want to we want to go the easiest way. We don't want it hard in any way, shape, or form. And so sometimes if we are left alone, we refuse to grow in faith. Our roots don't go down deep. We become very shallow, very surface. 
and then the fire comes, and the storm comes, and it forces our roots to go deep in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that way, makes us worthy of the kingdom of God. We grow and mature in him. When your faith is trialed, tried in the fire of suffering, the goal then ultimately, he says, it will bring praise and honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ at his appearing because we've been tested and tried and come out faithful. We allow suffering to make us meet for the kingdom, fit for the kingdom. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? And he replied, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Isn't that a great statement? A. Purnell Bailey visited an orange grove, and the irrigation systems had already broken down, and they were in a very, very dry season. And so there's virtually no rain, and the guy's taking them through the orange groves, and he's noticing, he's looking around. Many of the orange trees have already died. They were beginning to, uh, the the fruit was shriveling up, the, the limbs were dry and dying and parched and then he takes him a little to a different orchard and the the man takes the guy to his own orchard and he makes this statement these trees could go without rain for another two weeks and the trees absolutely look beautiful filled with fruit you see when they were young i frequently kept water from them this hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search of moisture now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area While others are being scorched by the sun, these are finding moisture at a greater depth. Isn't that incredible? God sends the the storm. He sends the famine. He sends the, 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 the adversity. He sends the heartache because it forces our roots to go deeper. And all the time, he is making us fit for the kingdom. There's a word called perseverance. Perseverance is the capacity to continue and bear up under difficult circumstances perseverance and as and as we develop perseverance as we bear up under these difficult circumstances we are being purified we are being made fit for the kingdom of god we're learning that in the desert land the lord jesus christ is all we need and he alone satisfies and he is the water that i'll drink from he is the only one who can satisfy my heart and my life and it's in those storms it's in those trials it's in the times of suffering that i depend totally on the lord it's me and him We'll get through anything. Now, now, to be honest, we get a little uncomfortable sitting in church hearing about suffering. Aren't you glad you're in air conditioning today? You're not even worried about the heat out there right now. And we get a little uncomfortable hearing about trials and persecution. Uh, And yet the Thessalonians, they're right in the middle of it. They're right in the middle of persecution. They're right in the middle of suffering and affliction. And yet Paul writes them and he says, I marvel that your faith is growing greatly and your love is increasing, even in spite of all that is going on. In fact, I believe that's one of the reasons their faith was growing and their love was increasing. You see, not only does suffering have a way of increasing our faith, it also has a way of building up your love. Let me explain it to you. When you are going through a trial or a test, when there is a brother that comes along beside you and walks with you through that trial and test, you are bonded to him in a very, very special way that that can never, ever be broken. You, You go through a time of pain. 
You go through a time of adversity and a brother or sister comes along by your side and they walk with you through that trial, through that test. Your love for them will increase in a greater way than ever before. You're in the battlefield together. It has been said that you make acquaintances in the day-to-day world. You just kind of we're bumping to people in and out and you make acquaintances all over the place. You build friendships as you spend time together at work and at play. But the deepest bond is formed when you suffer side by side. And what's he tell the Thessalonians? He said, your, your love, it's growing. It is abounding because that suffering, you are fighting in the battle together. You are holding each other up. You are helping each other to the trial and the test. Now, take it a step further. It is no wonder why God invites us to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Because he wants us to know him in such a unique, special way. And when we suffer for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ, we absolutely share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are knitted to him in a more intense, personal way than ever before. It's not like we're just acquaintances anymore, me and Jesus, just trying to buzz in and out of life together. And we're not even just close friends. Uh, But now there is a bond that is so deep because I have shared in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Therefore, I enjoy a deeper bond with him that might not have existed had I not suffered. Our love and our perseverance for God are tested in the fire, the fires of affliction. That love for God has that potential to grow even stronger than ever before. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes about it when he writes to Philippians. Look at verse number 8. He kind of alludes to this. He says that I might know you. And he shares the depth of his knowledge where that would come from. He said, but I indeed count all things lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Now Paul says, I've suffered for the kingdom of God. I've lost everything. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness which comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He is saying I am being made fit for his kingdom through my sufferings. He said through those sufferings of Christ, I might know him in a greater way, a more intimate way than I ever could have without the suffering. So God allows those times to come in our own life. Despite the pressure to give up for these Thessalonians and the hostility from all those friends who are around them uh, and the pressure to turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ and walk away from their faith uh, and compromise their love, these Thessalonians were hanging tough. They weren't giving up. They were hanging in there. And Paul encourages them. He commends them on their faith and their love. Uh, and, and you see, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is that capacity within each one of us to endure suffering and heartache and, and adversity because God will see us through. We have got the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we've got him, what it was intended to destroy us only turns out for our own good and ultimately his glory suffering makes us fit for the kingdom number two 
Suffering does not go unnoticed by God. I want you to notice that. Suffering never goes unnoticed by God. Look at verse 6 and 7. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. In other words, God's going to settle the books. I see what's happening. I, I know what's going on. And the payback is coming. Verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest. Isn't that great? I'll trouble your afflictors. And I'll give rest to the afflicted. Mm-mm-mm. With us when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray was informed that a man who appeared before him in a lower court had gotten off on a technicality. That's the trouble with the court system. There's all these technicalities. and Sometimes the, the guilty get off in our justice system. And he makes this statement. He says, I know that you are guilty and you know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and a wiser judge. And that there, will be, and that there you will be dealt with according to justice not according to law. It's a great statement. Sometime later, this same man was robbing a house in Antwerp, Belgium. And the thief fled out the back door when someone was coming in the front door. And he began to run. And he ran to the back of the yard. And he jumped over a nine-foot wall. And he dropped on the other side. And when he dropped on the other side, he found himself in the city jail. Now, we love stories like that because the bad guys get it in the end. They get caught, justice is served, and and, and we like those kind of great stories. They make us feel good. How many just, and, and I'm not being vindictive here, I'm just being honest. How many celebrated when they got Osama bin Laden? Am I the only one? I, you know, I... Man, there was rejoicing, there was celebration, all that was going on. There is something about our sense of justice as decent people that, that you know what, when, when, when the, the books are settled, everything kind of comes out right, it all works out in the end, and, and we get through them. On the other hand, how many got angry when they saw O.J. Simpson walking out of the courtroom? And you're going, what's going on here? What, what, what's happening here? This, this, this can't be right. The Bible says when, when he describes the death of Cain and Abel, when he describes the death of Abel, he says his blood cries out from the ground. And when injustice is done, when, when there was a travesty done, even though uh, nothing may seem to happen on this earth, the, the, their blood, the Bible says, cries out from the ground. And what Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, guys, listen, you're suffering now, and you're going through it now, and you are being persecuted, you're being attacked. But he says, there is a day of reckoning coming. God sees everything that is happening to you. He knows exactly what is going on, uh, and, 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 and there is a day of reckoning coming. It is going to happen. And, and so God sees God knows. He knows what is happening in your own life. Every Christian is in God's hands, and you can't step on a child of God without stepping on the fingers of God. And I will tell you, when you step on the fingers of God, there will come a day of reckoning. You can't step on God's hand and get away with it. Now, when life fails, when things go wrong, the immediate reaction is to question God's fairness. 
It's no longer an issue about am I accepted by God. Now is God, it's not fair. We look around and we see the wicked prosper. And then we see beautiful, wonderful Christian people who are suffering. And our sense of justice rises up and we want to cry out, God, it's not fair. What the Apostle Paul does is he takes that principle of retribution and he focuses it to the future. And he says, yes, there is a principle of retribution, but a lot of that will be settled when God comes back. It may not always happen in this lifetime. How many are tracking with me right now? If you look for justice to work itself out in this life, there will be times you will be disappointed because there are times, and the psalmist said it, when the wicked prosper. And there are some times when godly people suffer. But the promise of balancing accounts out uh, in the future, it may not eliminate our pain of suffering, uh, but it somehow reduces its insults. Because one day, a day of reckoning is coming. Verse 7, not only will your afflictors going to suffer, but those who are afflicted, he says, will find rest. I want to tell you, you may be going through it right now, but God sees. He knows what you're going through. He's touched by the feelings of your infirmities. Uh, He hasn't abandoned you. Uh, He hasn't walked out on you. Uh, He hasn't forgotten you. Uh, He sees and knows everything that happens in our lives. And he says, one day when the Lord returns, you will find ultimate rest. God knows. He knows how worn down you are, but eternal rest is coming. And, and, and Paul says, any suffering in this world doesn't compare to the glory that is before me. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 14. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. So he's talking about that last day when the Lord comes back. He's talking about the rapture right there. He's talking about the end times. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore... Therefore, because we know the Lord's coming back, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And he's comparing our brief time on the earth. Any affliction we have now, one year, two years, one month, however long it lasts, is light. Light affliction with his butt for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but at things which are unseen, for the things which are seen are temporary, the things that are not seen are eternal. What a great promise in God's word. Affliction is going to come. It's going to happen to suffering is going to come. And we don't like it. But God says there's a day of rest coming for those who will endure the affliction. An Iranian Christian by the name of Mehdi Dibjad was uh, born in a Muslim family. At age 15, he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1994, he was arrested by the Iranian government. He was put in prison and stayed for nine years in prison, in an Iranian prison. And while in prison, another another 
pastor had to care for his two young sons. December 3, 1993, Mehdi was released uh, from prison. He, he, he had his trial coming up, and he gave a written defense for Christianity. And he had written it all out, and he stood before the Iranian court. Uh, and when he got done sharing his defense, they accused him of, of, of apostasy. They accused him of, of being a traitor to the faith, and they sentenced him to die, blaspheming against the Muslim God. But there was such an outcry from the worldwide community that the Iranian government released him in January 1994. But five months later, he was abducted and murdered and left hanging on a tree in the middle of their city park. The children of Medin would never see their father vindicated in this life. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Why is a good pastor taken out and hung and left to die? None of us probably will ever experience the same kind of persecution this Iranian pastor went through just a few years ago. And his children probably are now experiencing their own life. But every one of us, to some extent, do experience at times pain and suffering. But God says there is a future day coming. And he says our light and momentary affliction is working for us a far greater weight of glory. And one day the accounts will be settled. And he says, we can enter in to that perfect rest of God. The third thing, suffering is the window to your heart. I want you to go back to our text. Look at what verses 12 and 11 and 12. Therefore, we also pray for you that God would count you worthy of this calling. And to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. The work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, in you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's the window to your heart. C.T. Studd was a famous sportsman in England in the 1800s. He gave away vast amounts of money. He left everything behind. He left England to go to China to become a missionary. They were asking him how he could do all that kind of thing and how he could leave it all behind and go on the mission field. And he made this statement. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ suffered and died for me, then no sacrifice I could ever do would be too great for him. You see, suffering reveals something of the heart of each and every single one of us. It tells us what we truly love in this life. It tells us what we're attached to. Tells us what we love. It's a revealer of the heart of man. Now, there's a couple of ways we can respond to suffering. And I take you back to the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you. Jesus is giving this powerful sermon, and and he says, and when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do, who walk around with sad, long faces. It says in the King James, they disfigure their faces. In other words, when they were fasting, everybody knew it. And they made sure everybody knew it, and they went down, and they were, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I've been fasting so long for God. And look at all that I am doing. Uh, And the Bible says that they already had their reward. 
because everybody was watching them. He says, when you fast, go out and anoint your head with oil, wash your face, clean up, smile, go out there, look happy, keep right going through life, uh, and don't let anybody know that you're fasting because he says, great will your reward be in heaven. Well, suffering is kind of like that. There are those who suffer, and they can walk around and focus on the suffering and, and their pain and their heartache and their trials so much to the point that it becomes all about them. And it's poor me. Look at all that I'm going through. Uh, look at what I'm facing now. I'm just hanging on for Jesus, uh, and I'm trying to make it. And they're garnering in sympathy, and they steal the show. The Bible said that any suffering that occurs on this world in our lives is ultimately for the glory of God. Don't take your pain and your heartache and turn it in time to steal the show and showboat and say, look at poor me. It works the same way. Or is your suffering going to be about God's grace and God's strength and God's power and God's might? Look at verse 12, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Untold suffering is rare because we like to talk about it, right? We like to tell people. We like the attention. We like them to feel sorry for us. But if we approach suffering and everybody knows and we grovel in our self-pity, then we have our reward. We have the attention we deserve. But if we endure with patience and rejoice that I am counted worthy to suffer for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, a greater reward awaits in the future. So suffering reveals what's in the heart. It shows who you're really all about. When you suffer for Christ and you accept it with grace that he alone can give, uh, he alone then becomes our source of strength. Uh, He becomes my source of courage. Uh, He is my fountainhead of wisdom. Uh, It is through him I get my endurance. Uh, And ultimately, when I come through, Jesus Christ is glorified because we can say, look how good God is. Look how good kept me and protected me and got me through it. And the glory goes to him and not to us. So suffering has a way of sorting out the motives and and dividing those mixed motives in our hearts and lives and revealing what we are really made of. How you respond to suffering reveals your heart. Pastor in China made this statement. Humanly speaking, we know that no one likes to suffer physically. But I know that if the Lord leads me into it, he will give me strength to survive it. Now I want to tell you, that was a man who knew God. That was probably a man who, like the Apostle Paul said, I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings that I might know him and know him in the power of his resurrection. This is a man who knew the Lord and could recognize the faithfulness of Almighty God. And the, the more we find ourselves in that place where we are forced to put our trust in God, the more our relationship will grow with him uh, and our heart is drawn closer to the Lord. Jesus will use suffering to grow you up and transform you into his likeness. You see, God's purpose for us is not to make us happy, but to make us Christ-like. And if he allows those seasons of suffering to come, it's so that we are being transformed and conformed to his image. It's so the roots can go down deep. But one day, God is going to give us rest. 
and there'll be no more crying, no more pain, uh, no more heartache, uh, no more funerals, uh, no more death. Uh, none of that stuff will be in heaven. Uh, there'll be no hospitals up there. Uh, there'll be no poor houses up there. Uh, none of that will be in heaven. Jesus is coming back. And the Bible says he will judge the living and the dead. Now, what is my message today? Listen, because the Lord is coming back and he settles the books, you better get right with God today. Do not put it off. We have a choice to make uh, whether I'm going to be a part of God's people who will follow God and serve God. No matter what may come my way, I am going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, My friends may mock me. Uh, My family may disown me. Uh, My classmates will say I'm religious. I'm a nut. I'm crazy. But you know what? I've decided to follow the Lord. And whatever persecution I get on this earth, uh, listen, it's just for a short time. Or if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will experience that pain of the ultimate judge of God who will come back to judge the living and the dead. And then those will suffer pain and anguish. You've got to make a choice. What are you going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.